The road to WrestleMania is filled with opportunity. But with opportunity, there is always a price to pay. The Elimination Chamber. Tonight, six of WWE's biggest superstars will sacrifice their bodies, risk their careers, jeopardize everything for one last opportunity to headline WrestleMania. Desperate for one last chance at greatness, who is willing to hurt, willing to play through the pain, all in the name of opportunity? A last chance opportunity to headline WrestleMania and become World Heavyweight Champion. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, welcome to the Shield of Justice. Sheamus Ryback and John Cena. In case you haven't noticed, when the Shield wants to deliver a message, we do it through action. If you want us, come and get us! Shield's playbook. The shield meets the sword. Justice meets the law. That is Ryback. He is Sheamus. I am John Cena. You want some? Come get some. Another man's frustration. I'm the champion! I'm the people's champion! I the rock! I did not! I got through! That title you hold is prestigious because I made it prestigious. And I earned that title for 434 days. Tonight. What The Rock is today and what The Rock will be after Elimination Chamber, WWE Champion. It's an epic collision. And here we go! Sam Punk going right after The Rock! Rock, Spybuster! On the road to WrestleMania. Every time you want to bring it, I'm just going to take it. Can you remember we went to went to uh, went to Texas for WrestleMania 25, Houston, and we rocked up in our uh, in our suits for the Hall of Fame, which I thought was a very classy move on our part. We it said to do so in the ticket. But can you remember we went to Phoenix and we all wore suits that were massively overdressed comparatively yes. to everyone else. It was hot. It was. Oh hot. my god! And we could not find anywhere to get a drink, could we? It no. was boiling, and someone really badly needed a piss. I think it may have been me actually. <laughs> Probably well, was you. And we'd yeah. been to see Bret Hart, haven't we? That's, That's right. right. So I remember so many people turned up to see Bret. They, they they were excited, but not quite as excited as Tinky, who, when we bumped into Bret in the shop, it was a bookshop in Phoenix, went, Where's Bret Hart? No, 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 no. That didn't happen. That was Shane McMahon. Oh, yeah. With, with Bret Hart, I was really discreet, and I think I went, Bret Hart's over there, Bret Hart. 
and, and that's what happened there. But, oh, but yeah, this, this... And, and, and then Tom got on his knees and sucked him off. <laughs> Do you know what? I fucking would have. <laughs> um, it was also, yeah, that was that was uh, a bit of an anticlimactic one because I just walked past and I went, go get him, champ, as he signed my book like that kid does in the advert. Oh, um, yeah. But that was a funny one as well because when we were at um, that Hall of Fame ceremony, didn't two of us, me and I think it might have been you, Tiki, got interviewed for like a local TV station as yeah. well. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We did. Somewhere out there, footage exists of us at the WrestleMania 26. Oh, two fame, absolute so. fucking stunts. Also sweating uncontrollably <laughs> as well at that point. Yeah, I think that television appearance might be the most inarticulate moment of my life as well. I seem to remember like just completely failing to say anything that made sense whatsoever. As often happens on this show, I'm trying to Yeah, you've stolen my joke there. This is the Random Wrestling Review, and today we're going to be taking an in-depth look at WWE Elimination Chamber 2013, a show which featured The Rock versus CM Punk in the main event for the WWE title. I'm Ben Spindler, thank you for joining us, we're very pleased to have you with us, and we'd be forever in your debt if you'd give us a little review and or rating on your podcasting app of choice. Also, you can follow along with all of the irreverent happenings at Random Wrestling Review Central by following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We can be found at UK. Um, as usual today, I have been joined by a couple of jabronis on the pod. Firstly, let me introduce Mr. Slam Kerry himself, old man. How you doing, old man? Slam Kerry, I think I heard them, which is lovely. Fi- finally, I've been named after my favourite wrestling movie on the planet. Well, I've, I've already run out of all of the possible uh, wordplay things that I could do with your name just from this episode. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. I'll... It's something for you to work on for, because the, the listener will enjoy that, but not quite as much as they're going to enjoy listening to us talk about this show. So there's, there's a lot on it when you consider where the uh, what, what would happen after the event. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's it. I'm going to leave out of that so that I don't take too much of Tom's thunder. That is good that you mentioned him because he's also joining us. Is Mr. Stomp Smith. <laughs> that was about as much as I could do with your name. I told you I'd run out of all of the possible wordplay I had, and that was it. Oh, oh. <laughs> Do you know, I, I'd be more annoyed, but I'm quite preoccupied with trying to find all this thunder that appears to have gone missing. <laughs> so, don't know where that's gone. Um, as I said, we are going to be covering WWE's Elimination Chamber 2013, a show that I, uh, this I've got to be honest, when we viewed it this time, I thought this was fascinating to me because I was actually quite a big watcher of the product at this time um 2013 verse uh, through to about 2016 was a bit of a renaissance in my watching of wwe and so it was really fascinating to come at it from a completely different angle many years um later and take a sort of second run at this show so i'm really interested to see what you guys thought about it as well um what should we do? Should we go straight into it, or are we going to have a quick, uh, just a kind of recap? We've we've now we're now episode six. We've had six. This is our sixth episode. We've had a variety of different um, shows. We've done one from this year. We've done one from 1989, and we've done three from the 1990s. We've blasted past Royal Rumble. We've even gone past Valentine's Day now, and we are kind of, I guess we're kind of just in the swing of things a bit more now. I guess we're we're starting to plow on with what this show is going to be longer term. Well, I mean, it, f- it feels like we're on the road to WrestleMania, doesn't it? 
But this road is going to go beyond WrestleMania. It's going to take us a long way. Well, we're on a road to WrestleMania that almost definitely won't be stopping at this year's WrestleMania because we probably won't do it. So we're going to we're on a road to WrestleMania. We will be covering WrestleManias, no doubt about it, when we get there. Probably just not this year's. Um, unlike WWE, we aren't phoning it in between now and WrestleMania either. That's very true. We are definitely not, but but we will be, as a result of this show, obviously uh, we'll get into it for the listener, but we will be building a programme largely based around racism and xenophobia for the next seven weeks before WrestleMania, as uh, as WWE saw fits do with Alberto Del Rio and Jack Swagger. All right, well, we'll in, get there. We'll get back there. Those halcyon days of 2013, <laughs> a different time. Spoiler alert for what's to come in this show. Um, we will get there. I was going to respond to Tom in, in, this, in the sense that he said we won't be phoning it in. That's only because technology allows us now to do this via Skype. That's that's really why we're not phoning it in. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Because we've got quite a lot, quite a lot to cover for this this show. Um, Elimination Chamber 2013, obviously coming in the midst of the rocks. Um, return to the company, sort of a couple of year dalliance back with John Cena and the and the like. Um, overall thoughts. Let's start with the overall thoughts. Tom, I'm going to start with you this week. What was your over th- overall thoughts on the Elimination Chamber 2013? I hated it. Really? Oh. Well, there's no IRS, is there? <laughs> wow, How on earth, on earth do you expect me to enjoy a pay-per-view that doesn't have the absolute goat that is Mike Rotunda in it? You make it a salient was, point. You make a salient yeah. point. Yeah. Um, if I take my actual, you know, my disgust of that out of this, it was all right. I, I thought it was fine. I don't think I've ever watched this before. Um, so it was interesting, quite fun watching uh, established characters that I know very well in various stages of their career uh, in a uh, pay-per-view that I've never seen. So uh, in some matches that I've never seen before. So it was interesting seeing the likes of um, kind of Jack Swagger at, at the beginning of the kind of we the people you know is you know co- uh, collaboration that's not a word that's not the word you use is it but i'm um, working with, with zeb carter pre pre cesaro joining uh, cesaro i don't really know what's going on with him in this pay-per-view i've got no recollection of his this run or his entrance music um which was quite uh which is quite interesting and it's just fun to see in like little you know in between moments with like Kofi and and Biggie knowing what was going to happen down the line and stuff like that. It was quite quite enjoyable, I would say. And old man, what were your thoughts? I would agree with Tom. I thought I had watched this because I was what a bit like you, Tiggy. I was watching quite regularly at this time, but I had no recollection of the undercard and I had no recollection of the main event, which surprised me. Mm. But yeah, I I thought it was decent. I got to be honest. I think it it leads into quite a good. WrestleMania from memory as well. So yeah, I I I enjoy it. And and you, Ben? Yeah, as I say, I remember this show actually quite well. I remember watching it. There were there were certain results that I could not remember. So for example, when the Elimination Chamber match was happening, I had, I could not remember at all who won it. And I, and that pro- perhaps reflects on that year's WrestleMania because I couldn't remember who was in the match for the World Heavyweight Title that year. But there were certain matches, especially the main event, I can very I vividly remember watching and having a very different reaction this time to it than I did when I was watching at the time, um, which is an interesting, uh, it was just, it would, for me, it was just fascinating. I could get myself in the mindset of what I felt at the time and comparing it to now, it really surprised me how different my, my emotions and my thoughts about the show was. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about this because it was, as I say, significantly 
different. Um, the show started with that World Heavyweight Championship match on this show. Um, Alberto Del Rio taking on the big show just over 13 minutes in length. And Alberto Del Rio got the victory uh, after he applied the cross arm breaker for the tap out. Uh, we're going to start by going to you, Tom. Uh, your thoughts and any kind of comments you want to make about the match. Yeah, uh, first of all, actually, one thing I did want to mention, I'd certainly say to you as well, obviously this uh, pay-per-view took place in New Orleans as well. Yeah. Um, obviously where uh, WrestleMania 30, the great WrestleMania 30 took place. Mm-hmm. But obviously where I visited a couple of years ago, and I must admit, to seeing the clips alone of uh, Bourbon Street and, and any aerial views of the city instantly made me like it anyway. So that he was loves, the first thing. He loves going on about how well-travelled he is these days. It's ridiculous. Every, every episode, he's like, I've been there before. Yeah, I've been to Mexico. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. What, what am I going to say? I haven't. It's not true, is it? But, but <laughs> well, was, you didn't but, have you, to mention it at all, did you? And you know it. <laughs> um, New Orleans is a fun place. I'd recommend anyone go there when we're allowed to. But anyway, so I want to talk a little bit about, a bit about the build-up. Because the build-up to the match apparently seems very old school to me. So they showed what happened the previous Friday on SmackDown which was um, the big show going out to his, uh, his uh, big bus and the, uh, the, <laughs> the wheels had been taken from it. And yep. he's very distraught. He then stands with his back to the van and Alberto Del Rio then proceeds to pour a gigantic tin of orange paint on him. Now, yeah. there's a couple of things about this. One, big show sells it as if he's just been told he's got a terminal disease. He <laughs> looks absolutely heartbroken and gut about these wheels about these wheels going. And then when the uh, when the when the paint's poured over him, he just stands there for ages <laughs> and just gets all this paint poured over him. He can just walk away and then the crisis is averted. We tell really stood up there with a cheeky cheeky look on his face, you know, looking like he's just allegedly done something terrible. And He's just pouring all this paint over him. It looks mad. It looks mental. And the big show is selling it like a like a true angry giant. It's wonderful stuff. In terms of the match, it's 13 minutes, as you said. It's quite long, if I'm being honest, for for any kind of big show solo match in 2013. But that being said, it was all right because my expectations were quite low. Um, so there's a couple of nice bits in it, like a couple of interesting cool power moves in it from when he's trying to when Delry is trying to get the big show in across Iron Breaker. I'm pretty sure uh, Big Show throws uh, this like, little bucket at uh, Ricardo Rodriguez at one point, which is very <laughs> enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he does nothing much. There's a bit where the Big Show gets hurricane rannered, which was mm-hmm. very impressive for a 2013 Big Show, I will say. But yeah, it was uh, it was fine. I, I haven't really got. There's not really much you can say about a Big Show match against Alberto Del Rio, is there? I don't think. Um, but it, it was perfectly enjoyable. It just went on a little bit too long for me. I was really quite impressed by this match. I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent in terms of what you, again, what you'd expect from a big show match. Um, and I thought 13 minutes was about right. I mean, let's not forget this was for the WWE heavyweight championship, which should be, you know, a, a, a big, bigger deal. And it was, I know it was the opener, but this is obviously a different type of show where you've got the elimination, one of the elimination chamber matches, for example, and a world championship match and separate to that, a John Cena match. So you, it's difficult to fit it all in and, and schedule it. Right. And I thought it was it was excellent for what it was. I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot it was for the heavyweight championship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. I mean, look, I don't want to discuss. We, we've um, kind of raced past the back history of Jimmy Snooker as quickly as we could. And I want to do similar things with Del Rio. But in terms of his in ring, I thought he was excellent here. And the match was really good. I think they limited Big Show to the things that he's good at. And 
it worked really, really well. Ricardo Rodriguez did his little bit on the on the outside. Few too many inseguries, maybe, by Del Rio during the match. He did about four of them in the end. And of course, and Tom, you you in particular will have struggled through this. Scott Armstrong was the referee for the match. Oh my god. I hate him. <laughs> I, I fucking hate him. He is he is I was watching this match and that I oh this stupid counting ruins it. It takes you out of any moment. There's no tension at all by his pinfalls. He is an absolute, if Earl Hebner was dead, he'd be crawling in his crawling, turning in his grave. Because obviously <laughs> Ar- Scott Armstrong is is the drizzling shits. And I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm going to take it back. I'm not sure he's a good guy. He might be an absolute dick. I don't know. But in terms of what he does for this job, he is absolutely shocking. And if WWE had any integrity, they'd blur his face out during the matches that he referees. (laughs) Is he worse than Nick Patrick? Nick Patrick is fucking the gold standard compared to him. him. Nick Patrick is ace. Wow. Ace Patrick. Ace Patrick, they call him. Wow. Ace Patrick. Do you reckon he's ever been called that? Apart from by his wife during during moments of pleasure. Going back to the match, I'm kind of in between the two of you. I I liked it. I I kind of liked the story they told with the submission. I I enjoyed that. Very odd seeing the big show submit. It was yeah. a proper like like they were really putting Del Rio over. It was also I don't remember Del Rio being quite this over either like the crowd were well into him and his music is <laughs> phenomenal I was waiting for this I was waiting for this uh, yeah his, I had a wonderful time <laughs> listening to his music so much so that after the match finished I went onto YouTube and just played it as I was making a cup of coffee before the next match what what a lovely little dance around the kitchen I had <laughs> you must have you must have had it up quite loud as well because your coffee machine is quite loud it is well it was a suitable volume for the music, the quality of music. Uh, mm. I'll be honest, I'm tempted to break into song, but I'm not going to. W- one thing that I know purely by chance is that there is a spot where the big show, for some reason, holds a bucket next to his head. And Del Rio cl- goes up on the turnbuckle and kicks it into big show's head. Doesn't look pati- particularly good anyway, but it, it's actually botched the first time. So there's a clip on YouTube of El Rio going up, going to kick the bucket, not literally, and uh, he misses it. And then he, so, so the big shoe's just there holding a bucket next to his head for no reason, no good reason at all, for probably about 45 seconds. Has this been cut out of the network version? Yes, because uh, I was watching, I can't remember what I was watching. I think it might have been just like a botch video on YouTube. And uh, yeah, and this was on there just, Completely by coincidence, this was about three days before I watched the match. And wow. I was like, hang on a minute, they've cut that. Is it definitely from the same match? It wasn't from like a maybe a, a previous match? Um, it It's improbable, but possible. Okay, I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, it's quite funny, but I could see why they wouldn't want it on there. Yeah, I, I, I would be really disappointed, though, if it has been cut, just because I feel like there's fidelity to the to the event that took place that should remain in place if you see what i mean but then you know why that's any different to any other show i'm sure they've they've cut many many things out of previous shows in the past um and put them on the wwe network incomplete it just feels like a shame i feel like we 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 really should be able to see them as they were when they first went out although i'm sure there's some horrible stuff that they've cut out that we probably don't want to see so um 
Yeah. The other thing about this match was for me that it just, I mean, the, obviously the big show is really hard, isn't it? Because sometimes he's a baby face, sometimes he's a heel. And especially, well, not just especially around this time, but at this time in particular, he was t- 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 turning back and forth over mm. and over again. Um, so when they come out, it takes a little while to figure out which one is supposed to be the baby face, which one's supposed to be the heel. Obviously, Del Rio is supposed to be the baby face, but also his character is still remains relatively heelish. He's still kind of a Mexican aristocrat who's got his own ring announcer because he's too good for the normal one. It's all a bit, you know, it just it feels a bit strange. It's just an odd kind of dynamic to the to the baby face and heel uh divide between them but other than that i thought this was a far better match than than i imagined it would be and as you said albert del rio is very popular the fans really really got into him i think during this period do you want to know a bit quick bit of um trivia about oh, the do show? i ever do i ever his middle his middle name is donald donald oh is that's it, lovely yeah. is it big donald show is that yes that's his name yes. Uh, Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul, that's what that's what i like go go on america paul donald white the second <laughs> oh, they love it. They love it. They love. They love coming up with names that are the same as their so, as theirs, aren't they? So does that mean? So he's not Paul Junior. So does that mean that all three names are the same as as his father? Yeah, yeah. And does this also mean that his dad was the bigger show? <laughs> the no, I can't do it. I was going to try and come up with some kind of play on words. What happening? Um, it would have been about as good, I imagine, as Stomp Smith, though. So. Oh, go on, Tom Smith. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're on, you're on, you're on good form today, mate. <laughs> Rare form. <laughs> um, match number two, then we move on. Antonio Cesaro versus The Miz for Cesaro's US uh, title. This one is about eight minutes in length, and um, is won by Cesaro by disqualification when there's a kind of inadvertent Miz low blow. So Miz kind of um, looks to be about to put some kind of move on him and uh, trips or something. It's a bit of a strange ending. I I, I think they're w trying something here, which didn't quite come off. Um, oh man, your thoughts on this one. Well, thank you, Ben Aeroplane Spindler. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that was worse than Stomp Smith. So, oh man, I'm poisoning the fucking strenuous off reaching that hard for that one. Oh, hey, Stomp Smith. <laughs> anyway, back to the match at hand. So, Mizzen Savaro, as he's known. <laughs> Mizzen so, Survivor Series. <laughs> yeah. So, but like Tom said, I can remember Cesaro's music, and I quite like it as well. I, I think he's known as the Swiss Cyborg at this time, which is a wonderful nickname. It doesn't really make any sense, apart from the fact that he's Swiss. But uh, also, he's still known as Antonio, which mm. is a mm. surprise for all involved. Uh, the main thing is they kind of set the match up that Cesaro had beaten Miz up and hurt Miz's shoulder on a show the week before and uh, that's kind of what they do for the whole match. It's well, it's odd to see Miz working face as well, because I can only yeah. I think the fans are reasonably with him. But uh, it was very much filler, I think, designed to make Miz a bit sympathetic, I think, which didn't really work. Um, one note on Cesaro, well, sorry, Antonio Cesaro, is that the commentators were very insistent on letting us know that he's strong. He's very strong. He's very strong. And just in case you didn't get that, he's very strong. 
I think this is where JBL started to get on my nerves in this match. And then he continued to get on my nerves for the rest of the show. Yeah, like go back to what you said about the ending on Aeroplane. It's just a bit flat. <laughs> and it's obviously designed in some way to protect Miz. That's the only assumption that you can make. But does it's crap because then Miz gets like annoyed, but then he feels the need to absolutely wallop Antonio Cesaro in, in the bollocks, which looks legitimately horrifying. Like he could mm-hmm. have actually kicked him in the nuts. It's just very odd. It's like Miz is trying <clears throat> to be a heel when the company is saying, no, no, be a face mate, it'll be all right. That ending crap is the perfect word for it because shit would be putting too much credit to it like it's it's just it's so pointless and weird and Mm. bad i don't know who benefits from it and i wanted this has got got me kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole and we know that antonio cesaro is is one of the better workers in wwe and has been for a very long time He's got the size, which is what, you know, everyone always says about Vince Mann, but he's never truly gotten over. And I've, I've kind of put it down to two things, and they're both very unfortunate things. He doesn't really have any control over. One, sorry about this, old man, but he's bold. No, and he's, but, he's not, but, he's not, but he's not cool bold like Austin. In, so he's not like and, clean, and me. Yes, exactly. He's not like clean shaven bald. Whereas, so Austin almost looks like he does it intentionally, even though we know he was terribly thinning. Um, he's completely. He's not completely bald. There's still like elements of like. There's a bit of the five o'clock shadow around the head, and the fact that ultimately he's not American or Canadian. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things, unfortunately, that I think have have held him back. And and I don't think it's well, it's obviously not his fault where he's from or or where his hair grows. But it's just really unfortunate that I think those two things have kind of been held against him, which have stopped him from ever becoming the star that a lot of people think that he could be. Well, you know what? Also, like he has the physique of someone who is legitimately strong, as opposed to the physique of someone who looks strong. Do you know what I mean? Like Triple H looks strong because he's got ridiculously sized muscles but probably isn't actually that strong but cesaro really is fucking strong because he's actually got a physique you know that that is genuinely athletic and i think it counts against him which is ridiculous mm. it's just it's just all a bit of a shame because i feel like under the right even if he had someone do like his talking for him i know he was very briefly with Heyman, um but if like they put him with Heyman and gave him a push he could legitimately be a great heel champion i also think as well and as much as fun as it is i do think that that old the old tinky spin that he does <laughs> is a bit too much of a, a bit too much of a, a novelty move for although that being said look at the fucking main event you got the people's elbow i'm talking about us i think what you said originally is right he's he's not he's not american or canadian so he's got an accent and yeah maybe he looks a little older than he is because he doesn't have a completely shiny bold head like austin did you know it's austin's kind of a tough looking bold and cesaro's got a you know a middle-aged office worker bold head if that helps so could, could i ask which category would i fall into <laughs> <laughs> i am um, um, uh, taking the fifth on that one <laughs> I'm, I'm going with pedophile in the front row bold <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be to be honest that's one of the nicer things i've had said to me this week so yeah that's what you're going for in it old man anyway that was the look you were trying to get <laughs> well i hang on i just think that you call me a pedophile not a pervert
Because yeah. I, I thought you were you were it was a callback to the guy watching Sensational Sherry. Oh no no, that's the no, longest no, was... fucking callback of all time to <laughs> yes. us. Three weeks ago. Old you don't you don't you don't look like a pedophile. And for the listener, I'm not. <laughs> this was one of those matches at the time that kind of WWE did a lot of. It was where I think WWE were super organised in that they kind of almost had plotted out who was going to be in a feud with who for most of the year or it seemed that way but they hadn't figured out why and so every time they got to them they just gave them some really kind of dull reason for being involved in a feud this one i believe emanated from the fact that cesaro said something about americans being bought uh, being lazy or something and the miz yeah. coming out to defend america's honor and whatnot but also cesaro was wearing the american flag on his tights and i think he had a kind of because he was the united states champion he was doing that kind of i'm representing america thing even though i'm not from america i think regal did it once as well when he was u.s champion and countless others probably rusev probably did it as well at a certain point in time so yeah the and as a consequence the crowd there's no no crowd interest in it they just don't really care which it's not surprising, but given that the US title and the Intercontinental title really haven't meant very much for a very long time, uh, which is a shame because they both used to mean quite a lot. Mm. So match number three of the show is the Elimination Chamber match, which is kind of strange given this is called Elimination Chamber and the supposed feature is quite a long, long way down the hierarchy in terms of the top matches. I know that that's not necessarily reflected just in the order, but there are other matches on this that are probably considered more important, including the main event. This one lasts. 31 minutes uh, in total it features kane jack swagger daniel bryan chris jericho mark henry and randy orton and the winner will become the number one contender to del rio's wwe heavyweight championship and swagger gets the victory overall so this was interesting there's i think it was a decent match i didn't think it was a great match i thought there was some really good moments in it i thought the at the end was excellent i thought some of the beginning bits between daniel bryan was excellent and in the middle there was a bit of a, a lull in action i suppose i think one of the issues i have so what happens here is that daniel bryan and chris jericho start the match but then there isn't an elimination until everybody's become involved and so there's this whole kind of middle bit which is just waiting for people to get into the match um, which means that there's some one or two nice spots in it but it's, it's not really a lot going on really decent end though as i said i thought that the the way the match finished with orton so the the, the last three in the match are randy orton chris jericho and jack swagger randy orton eliminates jericho after an rko but immediately is schoolboyed by orton for the win before the match started i forgot even who was in the match so i don't tend to before we watch these shows i don't tend to go back and check what matches are coming on the show because i don't because anywhere you can check, you'll see the result. And I don't really want to see the results just in case I don't remember the results. So it just makes it a better viewing experience. And so I couldn't remember who was in the match. And then whilst the people were coming out for the match, I thought, oh, is this the one Edge wins? And then realized Edge wasn't even in it. So <laughs> I was like, who is the winner of this match? And it only occurred to me sort of halfway through that it was swagger and that he got the victory and as you say he was in the beginning points of his we the people all american american patriot kind of thing with zeb coulter which i think is quite significant in terms of i don't want to get all political but it feels like the beginning of the trump movement like I, it sounds very lofty but when you consider the timing of it and the fact that actually a little bit later in this the run for this this gimmick there were it did actually become there were more and more people you know saying along with jack swagger we the people mm. 
And at the same time, I think he even became babyface like a year and a half or so after this uh, with the same gimmick. So I maybe that's a bit of a lofty statement. I, I had the exact I had serious MAGA thoughts when Zeb Cotter was talking and breaking news. Mm. I just found it all on saw on Twitter that uh, Zeb Cotter is running for president. <laughs> so yeah, so there we go. You've, you've deadpanned me so much now. I don't even. I can't even tell if. It, I, 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 like it's one of those things where I'm like, is he joking? Like, or is yeah, this... no, not, not not Dutch Mantel? <laughs> Zeppelin is running for president. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was that was one of the things that I got out of this. Decent match. Not the best elimination chair match I've ever seen, but it wasn't bad. I think everybody kind of um, contributed a little bit. Old oh, man. Yeah, you're dying to talk about someone, aren't you, old man? Oh, of course I am. I mean, first of all, it's just good to see the goat Chris Jericho in there. <laughs> oh, clinic. Yeah. Should I should I do it now? Should I should I should I do it? So, no. No. Uh, nah. Say say it because you can't peak too soon. So one thing, one note on Jericho, he looks like an generous <laughs> in this match. I was just watching it and I was like, his hair is, it looks like someone's. And I, I don't know whether Ellen still has the hair like this. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, it's Ellen DeGeneres. Um, I thought, well, I was never a big Swagger fan. Well, I'm still not a big Swagger fan. I mean, Orton very much feels like he's, I think he's probably relaxed at this time, shall we say. I don't think he's really, I mean, he, he gets thrown through the pod. And I think he's still selling that now. Like he stays in that pod for what feels like about eight minutes. He's just in there. And uh, yeah, and Kane, Kane, Kane throws a lovely punch, but really what's Kane doing in there, to be honest? But it's all about Mark Emery, isn't it? Oh. I mean, the first thing that struck me, well, two things when he walks out. One, his hairline is a phenomenal <laughs> piece of work. I mean, as I, as we've touched upon this, uh, on this week's show i'm bold <laughs> we haven't so much touched upon it as w- <laughs> waved a baseball bat and smashed it over the head stood, uh, stood on your shoulders and dangled our nuts on your head that's what we've been doing <laughs> to be fair if you did that would be the first bit of hair that i've had on my head for years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean his hairline is unbelievable and his back is that was an odd thing to talk about, given that we normally like, we don't normally get this deep into people's backs. His back is enormous. Like it's so big, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Like it's just <laughs> unbelievable. Let's let's not forget what's plastered over his back as well. Western Supermare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On his back. Oh, lovely. We've got out of our comfort zone a bit here though, haven't we? Because you know, we backs are not really our thing. Let's be honest. We're hair, we're hair guys, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I there, there's this match is is for, with Mark Henry specifically. For me, Mark Henry was the best thing about this match, which might sound like a damning indictment of the match, but it's not. You've always said, Tinky, that uh, oh, well, we were chatting about it the other week. We were speaking about speaking about the about Haxel Jim Duggan, for example. No matter how good at what someone's ability is, present someone. Yeah. in a strong manner and they will be perceived in that way and that is what they do with mark henry around this period of time i can't speak too much because unlike you two i don't know if i was i was probably in an in and out phase of watching wrestling in 2013 but i i can remember some of the um some of the the, the hall of pain is that it yes yeah, yeah. and and he just he just is 
badass in it. He's presented in such a great way, um, which meant he was good. Like the bit at the end, so he gets eliminated and he goes out and then goes back in. The crowd are going mental for yeah. it, and he just goes in and just hits a world's strong, strongest slam on Ziggler, Orton, and Jericho. And the crowd are going to quote Gorilla Monsoon. The crowd are going bananas. It is, it is brilliant. Ziggler, did I say Ziggler? I meant Jericho. <laughs> Oh, basically, yeah. basically the same as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh, um, zing! But yeah, no, I, I didn't. Yeah, again, like, it was a bit of a. I was genuinely shocked when, um, when Jack Swagger won at the end. Um, and the other thing I'd forgotten about Jack Swagger is how much he looks like our mate Luke as yes, well, yes, which is yes. which makes me dislike him even more. <laughs> like Tinky touched on the end, <laughs> classic Tinky. And uh, like, <laughs> there's a couple of little bits that are just really shit. It really annoys me, stuff like this. This is lazy. Swagger has Orton in the ankle lock. Orton, he's in agony. There's no rope break. He's he's done for, surely. It's all right. Jericho's come over and started beating up Swagger. That's a stupid thing to do. But it's all right, because Jericho has got Swagger in the water, Jericho. So let's get... Let's get swag right now. Is all right. Orton's come and kicked, kicked Jericho and just broken the hold. It's nonsense. Yeah. That could be made sense of by the commentator saying something along the lines of, "I feel, I think that um, he's got a better chance of eliminating Swagger than, say, if it's Randy Orton breaking up the brilliant thing. He's given himself the easiest one last, the easiest mm. opponent last sort of thing. But they don't at any point. So they just no. kind of say, oh, it's just an interruption. You know, that doesn't make any sense. This is this is an elimination match. Do you know what I mean? Like, surely just everyone yeah. just... You can't put too much of us, they'd be rubbish. But just have everyone just lay down on someone until and progressively get smaller. <laughs> and probably get smaller until the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, they kind of... They try to cover it by saying about pride or some shit at some yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. Like, just have them say, you know, Swagger's already beaten down quite a lot. It, it makes sense for Orton to try and surprise Jericho from behind with a RKO or some kind of being hit from behind whilst he's distracted with Swagger, who's already effectively almost eliminated. So that would make some sense, but they don't really cover themselves at all when it comes to that stuff. And that's why it feels a bit rubbishy. Just quick to quickly touch on the bit that you said in the middle of the match, where there's the massive long. When I was watching it, I kind of, that is well, it can be very much the way with these style of matches, can't it? It's the same with like NXT have done a couple, a few war games matches as well. You're just kind of waiting. You're waiting for almost the finish, aren't you? Like you, because you know that's when shit's going to go down. I know that's the same for any match that you watch, but there is, you know, as well, it's going to be at least 16 minutes. So I think it was four minutes between each entrant at this point, and you know you're selling them for the long haul. It's like Nothing of note is going to happen, especially with the cast of characters that are in the match. Yeah. Well, it, it needn't be this way with an Elimination Chamber match, though. Like, so with the War Games match, when everyone was like, get, there, there was a little a, a little while ago, there was a bit of a movement for them to bring back the War Games match. It used to come up regularly at, some, at, at a certain point in the past. 
and I've I've always been like I don't really want it to come back because I think the rules are ridiculous. Like you, you basically you can't win the match until everybody's in anyway. So why have like you can you can't eliminate anyone before everybody's in either. So there's no elimination. It's just win the match. And and so basically you end up having to wait for everybody to enter. Whereas elimination chamber you can at least eliminate people before the end. Like if you're the first two in the ring, Jericho for example could have made Daniel Bryan submit before the third person came into the ring anyway. So I I feel like there's a way to do this with some imagination. They just didn't have any here. They just sort of like, well, let's just wait for everybody to get in the ring and then we'll then we'll shake it up um, afterwards. So, yeah, I just think that's where I struggled with this one. It just didn't feel very imaginative in terms of the the, the middle part of the match. Uh, and there's no need there's no reason why it shouldn't um but as you say they were obviously they were just obviously intent on having mark henry come in and just destroy everyone before being eliminated himself finally there, there's also one of those things well man how shit would it be being stood in one of those pods for 16 minutes as the case is in this match. so boring just pacing back and forth trying to look intense yeah <laughs> and stay warm i imagine like you know because they're all you know warmed up backstage to get ready for the match yeah You're trying to stay warm for 60 minutes that's not going to be them I mean, i know they're under the lights and everything but still just to touch on your comment about them bringing back war games you won't enjoy the fact that they've had a war games pay-per-view for the last three years with nxt and this year there were two two on one show wow wow yeah i mean i, mean, I don't mind that they brought it back it's just i was never like oh yeah you must bring that back because i've just always thought the rules don't make sense it just doesn't it's just a silly match as far as I'm concerned. Triple H likes it though, doesn't he, apparently? That's why yeah. they do it. Because it's, it's the war game! Ah, of course. Of course it is. Um, yeah, you're right though about Mark Henry. Great presentation of him. Um, and I was also going to make the Western Superman joke and you got there before <laughs> me, which I'm really upset by. Um, no, that's the proudest I've ever been. And is of course Mark he- Henry the greatest big man ever? No. But he's he's very good. Who's better? It depends what your definition of a big man is, doesn't it? I mean, Undertaker would be considered a big man by a lot of people. No, he's tall. Oh, so your your definition is they've got to be fat, basically. No, my my definition is that Mark Henry is a big man and no one else is. So he, <laughs> so he's the best ever. Well, he is the world's strongest man. Hang on, that's what I'll... the WSM means. No, you're talking bollocks. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing that I would say is that he is definitely, prob- definitely, probably the longest-serving big man. Mm. He definitely, probably is the longest-serving big man. Probably, maybe, sort of, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, Andre the Giant probably runs him pretty close. I would suggest. I never saw Andre the Giant run, so. I didn't mean as the best. I meant as the longest serving. So the next match, then we are we are absolutely smashing through this show uh, right now. But hopefully, I, I've got quite a lot to say about the this next match and the main event. So so with a bit of luck, we will have plenty more to go. Uh, the next match on the show is a six man tag team match. It features the Shield against John Cena, Ryback, and Sheamus, the supposed dream team of WWE, as they've been called on this uh, show more than once. Um, this comes in at just under 15 minutes and is won by the Shield when um, Ryback has Seth Rollins in a position to deliver a shell shock. But Roman Reigns spears Ryback. Seth Rollins falls down onto Ryback in the process and gets the pinfall. Uh, old man, let's uh, let's go to you. What, what are your thoughts on this one? First thing is, I this was I mean, the Shield had a run where they were having six-man tag matches that were just unbelievable. They just immediately, they seemed to nail the format. 
and yeah. just how best they could work. I think they're absolutely tremendous in this. Mm-hmm. The dream team, hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, Cena, I don't hate John Cena. I think he had his time where he was winning every single show and it was a bit tiring. But at this point, I kind of warmed to him. He is very much in don't get injured before WrestleMania mode, I think, in this match. Because okay. he, he basically, he's Hulk Hogan in this match. It's a it's an indictment on the times, I think, that Cena is effectively setting up for the hot tag to Ryback. <laughs> but Ryback is so bad that he gets about 48 seconds in the ring. Does, where yeah. he's, he just basically walks in like a wardrobe. And then Brunson. <laughs> well, look and look at the man. He's basically his name could be an IKEA wardrobe as well. So <laughs> good, yeah. The right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shield are great and they're very over. And yeah, there's not. It's hard to go into too much because they are just great and they, like I said, they've just got it down perfectly. But the start of the match, uh, Cena, Sheamus, and Ryback each grab a member of the shield. And they get them up into a nice vertical suplex. A lovely visual. The timing's all off and it's a bit embarrassing. But Michael Cole says it's triple, triple verticals, which I didn't really know what they are. But obviously no one corrects him. Well, that one was probably fed directly to him by Vince. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Big time. The other thing is Roman Reigns looks so young. You can kind of see how inexperienced he is, I think, just in his face. He kind of looks a little bit uh, like a rabbit in the headlights. He's kind of looking around, saying, like, "Oh, what do I do?" I'm it's, it's, really, it's really notable, noticeable in this match. I, I I watched, and you can, having watched, you know, him in the Rumble in the match against um against Kevin Owens a couple of weeks ago. It's really notable to see, yeah, how much he has kind of matured as a as an in ring, or in the case of the Rumble match, an outside of the ring performer. <laughs> Um, but literally, after every move he hits in this match, he just goes, Aah! every single move. He, like, punches someone. He's like, ah! Afterwards, <laughs> it's like, it was, it was, do you know what? So I missed all of this when it happened. I didn't, I think the first ever Shield match I watched was at Mania of this year, mm. I think. They, was this the one when they fought the New Age Outlaws? No, I don't think so. But but in fairness, this this match, what we're talking about now, was only their second match ever. So. Yeah, but like what I was saying is I think the first time I saw the Shield was when they had a match against the New Age Outlaws at the following Mania. Right. So, or maybe at this, whoever they fought in this Mania, mm. but obviously it didn't leave much of an impression. Um, But I, it was just seemed, so I've never seen any early Shield stuff. And how over they are is tremendous. Yeah. Um, how much the, the, they're being sold as like, a, again, goes back to the Mark Henry of it all. Now, it happens to be that one of them in particular is a very good worker. One of them's very good on the mic and got a good character and the other one's got a great look. Um, so they're they're not like not as good as they could be like Mike Henry is. Sorry about this one, man. But the way he's the way that the way they're presented is incredibly strong, and it, it again it feeds off into the crowd, doesn't it? Why did though Roman Reigns come down separately from uh, Ambrose and Rollins? I wonder why did he always come down a separate tunnel? I don't think he always did. I don't, I don't know why he did on this occasion. I don't think he always did. Do you reckon he like was running late? He just like had a shit. 
Like, like, <laughs> so like, let's get down that one. It's fine. We've got some security. Well, you can pretty much be be um, convinced by you guys that no matter what happens, if somebody is, comes out in a sort of a different way or from a different entrance or a little bit later, it's always because they were taking a dump of some kind. Well, of course they are. There's no, there's literally no other reason for it. <laughs> There's no other reason in the world. I mean, get, getting back to the shield as well, to follow on from what Tom did, like, you've got three perfectly defined roles as well. Like Seth Rollins is, I think the microphone picks up pretty much all of the shit that he's chatting. And at one point he just goes, you, you, away, away, Seamus, get away, Seamus, get away. Yeah. And he's just yeah, he laughing. Goes, he goes, yeah, shut up, Seamus, shut up. <laughs> amazing and, and also dean ambrose is like in this kind of like not a marginal figure but he's got obviously a smaller role than when he was on his own he's so much better because he is i think like when i watch it, the shield stuff as well like he's genuinely good in the ring i just think when the minute he went single and they kind of tried to push him to the world title and that i just don't think he's very i don't think i know he's a strong enough character to get that over i think he could probably have a decent match for one of us to be honest but i think just in terms of how he's presented here it's just magnificent and ryback is i mean unbelievably over Mm. i i will say that these the way the some of these rest some of these guys have been presented that have been kind of put on television is the reason that i started that i started watching more regularly again um ryback for all of his faults and you're absolutely right gets about 45 seconds of the ring and that's it they don't let him do anything else but for all those faults he is massively over is the most the, the the chance for feed me more during this match are very loud and that's as a consequence of the presentation of ryback they basically just gave him the old goldberg push beat everybody beat them very quickly and then they had i think they were due to have john cena versus cm punk at late the previous year and um cena got injured and so i think they had they just drafted ryback in in the main event role like way earlier than they ever meant to and they still stayed over and the fans still wanted him to win even though he's a very one-dimensional kind of not particularly good um muscle-bound guy and the shield though in particular for me the presentation of the shield, I think, is one of the most genius things WWE have done, possibly for I don't know, 20 years. I think it is phenomenal. I have never enjoyed the shield as much as the, the members of the shield as much as I did when they were first in the company as a group. They are magnificent. The presentation of these three is you so is unique. They've never done anything like this, where they've had three guys who, even at this point, really, it's easy now to look back at them as going. Rollins was the wrestler, Ambrose was the talker, and and Reigns was the was the look. But really, at the start, it was they were just three anonymous guys we'd never heard of, we didn't really know anything about, and they all came down in the same gear. They didn't wrestle very much, but when they got in the ring or when they were on Raw, they absolutely dominated their their opponents in all these segments where they attack people. It was just a phenomenal presentation of, of three guys. And they, whenever they put them in matches, they had them win. They had them go over in six-man tag matches because they presented them very much as this unit that was completely perhaps wouldn't have succeeded in singles matches but as a as a, as a trio you were never going to stop them and i thought even the way that the match went and their offense during this match 
they did the same presentation. They kind of had this kind of skirmish style to them, which I don't think I've seen in WWE before, where, and and I, this is where I thought JBL really redeemed himself for the show, because I thought his commentary was ex- excellent during this one. Like, he really put over the sense that these three guys were something different, something we'd never seen before, and who what would legitimately could rely on each other over and over again, and constantly, no matter what happened, even in a three-on-three situation like this match, still seemed to have the numbers over their opponents at all times. I just thought it was, it it really took me back to a point where I was like, this is one of the reasons why for a while I started watching wrestling much, much more closely again, because the shield just, I found an absolutely fascinating act for the WWE to put in place. And um, I thought this was a great match. I thought this was such a good match. I thought it didn't matter to me that the Shield were a little bit, well, Roman Reigns is a little bit green. And you've got on the other side, you've got Cena, Sheamus and Ryback, three guys that I'm not that, you know, don't go wrong. Cena's had some amazing matches in his time, but I would never kind of seek out their matches. I thought this was fantastic. I was all in on this and I thought, um, and as I said, it really kind of reminded me of why the Shield were so special at the beginning. This is also the first spear through the barricade spot, I think, into the timekeeper area. Yeah. And I think it. Michael Cole's very good, but he is so surprised by this. I don't think it's time. And I don't think it was passed on because they legitimately al- almost cripple Lillian Garcia. Yeah, like she seems to see it coming and run into the corner. And Michael Cole, the fact that I think he's so surprised is because he says, unbelievable sheep, and then corrects himself <laughs> and says, yeah. Oh, was he thinking about the Bushwhackers, you reckon? Well, he, he, he must have been. Must have um, been. Yeah, I, I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to do this too much because I enjoyed the match as well, but has there ever been a more shit, uninspiring trio of John Cena, Sheamus <laughs> and Ryback? Like I saw it, I was like, Fuck me, this sounds awful. And then when they showed the VT beforehand, the John Cena promo at the beginning, whilst delivered with a lot of passion, is the most generic, phoned-in John Cena <laughs> promo of all time. It's like even as if he thinks it's a shit thing. You know, it's a shit team-up. And right back, oh my God. Again, I accept everything you said about the ways, but the ways over. He is fucking shit. There's no other way to discover, and he can't even do his "Feed Me More" thing in time with the music. It's like he's he's in time with something, but not the music. It's like whenever you go to a gig and you see someone clapping in time but off beat. Yeah, you know they're clapping they're clapping to the bass drum and not the snare. And you're like, what's wrong with you? Look, everyone else can do it. Why can't you? <laughs> it, it's like it, one of my one of my mum's friends at my dad's gig back in the day. <laughs> No, it's one of the weirdest things with Ryback because not only that, but he would turn babyface a couple of times over the next three, four years. So he was a babyface at this point, but he would turn heel shortly after WrestleMania to go up against Cena. And they had a bit of a program, but they would turn back to being babyface and they push him again. And every time he seemed to build up a really solid following of people. And I think. I, I think it has to be in the presentation. That's what it's all about. And I guess maybe it was also a little bit of a, there was a sense that maybe he was the antidote to John Cena. So I don't know if that was maybe in pe- the back of people's minds that, oh, they're now really getting behind this guy. That might mean that's the end of Cena. That will be really great. And that, so that's what I was going to say about the end of this match. So what happens at the end is that John Cena, after they've lost, Ryback's annoyed with the other two and walks off in a bit of a huff. Now, they don't pay this off until after WrestleMania, as I said, but the night after WrestleMania, 
Ryback then turns on Cena, attacks Cena, and they they then go into a feud for the next month or so. Thinking back though, I think when Ryback did turn heel, I don't seem to remember this moment, which is a great shame because this moment should have fed massively into that 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 heel turn by Ryback, but it just it just didn't seem to do that. But yeah, I thought it was a great match, regardless of who was in who was in the match. It was just really excellent. So so you could say that that moment that you just spoke of could have fed you more it could have fed me but they could have fed me more of it definitely that just out of uh, just another note on this the shields opponents at wrestlemania 29 were big show randy orton and sheamus so sheamus once again on the other side of the ring oh, uh, i know i forgot about sheamus he is so happy when he comes down to the ring <laughs> it's quite terrifying because I get the feeling that he doesn't really know how to play a proper like face role. So he's just, guys, grinning like a Cheshire cat. It reminded me, though, of so that, uh, hearing his music. So obviously I haven't, del- I haven't delved back into the archives to watch Seamus matches quite recently. I know that might blow your minds. But, um, and obviously I've, I'm kind of used to his music that he comes down to now. But I've forgotten about his music and two things made me laugh whilst listening to his music. The first is the lyrics, because I'm pretty sure it goes, it's a shameful thing, lobster head. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it says lobster head. And also it reminded me of when we were at WrestleMania 26 Mm. and we we got a taxi with that couple, the three of us and and our friend got a taxi with uh, with that couple to uh, to WrestleMania. And then we met up there for, for a couple of beers afterwards and got a bit pissed up. And he, Mike, I believe his name was, who yeah. still owes us thirteen dollars for the taxi? Bloody does, bloody cheap. If you're listening, Mike, you owe us you owe us thirteen dollars, you fucking bastard. Anyway, he I remember turning around and you did as well, old man. And Mike was singing his head off to Seamus's music with such passion and vigour. It was phenomenal. So whilst Mike, whilst we hate you for stepping yeah. us in the taxi, and it was the same night that I drunkenly lost my iPhone as well. It was, yeah. In a taxi. Uh, I uh, will always love you for that, even though we hate you. Basically, we basically paid him $13 to do that singing of Seamus's theme tune. Yeah, show. I suppose. I suppose yeah. that's if, if You know what? Money well spent. Getting back to us getting stiffed on the money. What was so great about that is that we were sorting out money and uh, just turned around and they basically run off. And it was like, <laughs> where are they off to? They ain't paying. That was also the same night that we were so amped after WrestleMania 26 that we uh, all got really hammered in that bar in Phoenix. Yeah. And there was those girls outside just going, cold beers, cold beers, trying to, trying to entice anyone in. Uh, An old man walked up to them and said, Excuse me, have you got any cold beers? <laughs> oh, that, was, that was a great time. To be fair, we needed that after watching uh, Shawn Michaels get retired. That's true, yeah. And watching, and watching my hero have the shittest match of his career as well. <laughs> Bret Hart. It was a rough one. Well, talking about uh, that particular WrestleMania, that was also pretty much the last couple of weeks that you had hair, wasn't it, old man? That was pretty much the death knell for your for, for your glorious head of hair, wasn't it? It was, because we were staying in a lovely resort, having bought a package with WWE, and we were in the swimming pool, and we were having a lovely time. <laughs> it was just three absolute studs having a good time in the swimming pool. I went under the water. Oh, it was fresh. It was lovely. I came up under the water. Just a Tom going, fuck you now, mate. <laughs> and Tinky, who the listener may not realise, is 
it's quite a kind gentleman and it's normally a bit tamer and stuff like that even he said (laughs) it was it was yeah it was something yeah and i think i stopped crying about a week after (laughs) and then blimey i think it was still it was in about a year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was almost in reaction to that. I thought that was. Yeah. What... Well, to be honest, I've been mulling it over for a long time. Coming it over? You mean? <laughs> oh, that's nasty. That's a nasty <laughs> After the year of therapy. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break there, I think, because old man needs to get over some personal issues right now. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be back in just a second. Um, um, don't don't go anywhere. Oh, I'm dying. <clears throat> Are you still giving me the silent treatment, partner? I mean, you're still not upset about the Royal Rumble match, are you? I mean, it was every man for himself. And besides, you eliminated me after you were already eliminated. If anything, I should be the one not talking to you. Well, why don't you try that then? Why are you so grumpy? Grumpy? You know, that's ironic, because from where I stand, you look like one of the seven dwarves. I'm not grumpy. I'm focused. The winner of the Elimination Chamber match goes to a main event at WrestleMania. I've been in WWE for 15 years, Daniel, and I have never competed in a main event at WrestleMania. So this match tonight, it is a big deal for me. I understand. But listen, it may come down to me and you in there. But before that, I say we do what we always do. We watch each other's back. Team Hell No Style. What do you say, partner? Okay, here's the deal. Okay. You watch my back. Okay. And I'll watch my back too. Okay? Welcome back. So um, after the uh, six-man tag match, we had a bonus match, which is always a lovely kind of suggestion that WWE really couldn't be bothered to tell anyone about it beforehand. Um, because let's be honest, no one gave a damn. It was between Money in the Bank holder Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston. Um, and it occurred as a consequence of Dolph Ziggler coming out with AJ Lee and Big E, talking about how um, he should have been booked on the show. And that he's guaranteed to win the world title as he is currently the money in the bank holder. Then he was interrupted by SmackDown general manager Booker T, who um, came out and introduced an opponent for Ziggler that night, Kofi Kingston. It didn't last particularly long, this one. It was a bit throwaway um, after all. Uh, took just four minutes to play out. And Ziggler won after a zigzag. And after the match, also Big E, who was at the time still called Big E Langston, um, laid a beating on Kofi. That was pretty much everything that happened in the match. <laughs> so um, any thoughts on that, Tom? Um, well, do you know what? I've not been surprised when I heard Dolph Ziggler's music turn up i was like oh fucking hell <laughs> I, I i've i've put my opinions out on Dolph Ziggler. i think he's rubbish um he uh he came out i mean the best thing about the whole thing was the big e langston beatdown of kofi kingston at the end and hearing kofi kingston's music so it was nice to hear don't get me wrong i think he's much better utilized in the new day mm-hmm. i think he's got a lot more character a lot more interesting but i did like his music SOS. um so <laughs> Clearly, you know, it's one line of the lyrics of that song. Yeah. 
Something one more time. Yeah, like that. And that's something that happens. <laughs> yeah. um, it was just nice to see. It was, I tell you, it was quite quite a nice kind of foreshadowing, I think, knowing what we know now about the success and the longevity of the New Day to see Biggie and Kofi in the ring. But that was the best bit about it. Um, every now and again, though, I do forget about how incredibly high Kofi Kingston can jump. Just, I know it's like it's got an obvious thing because he's always been like a bit more of an aero maneuver. But every now and again, he just does something that makes you think, "Fucking hell, this boy can jump!" And I tell you what, <laughs> he can, and he did. He did indeed. And that was about all you can say, surely, old man. Have you got anything additional for this match? Well, of course I have. It's Dolph Ziggler, my boy. <laughs> so the setup for the match is that he comes out and cuts the promo. Mm. Main thing that I took from the promo is that he talks about the dinosaurs that are going into the Hall of Fame that year. So I thought, I wonder if there are any dinosaurs. There were no dinosaurs. They were all previous wrestlers. So that year, Donald Trump. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno Sammartino, rest in peace. Mick Foley. So, I mean, and he's got about 14 years on Ziggler. Booker T, he's got, I think it's maybe 11 years on Ziggler. And Trish Stratus, he's only got mm-hmm. seven years on him. So they're hardly dinosaurs. I'd Wasn't say. Bob Backlund also in that one as well? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, I, I only wrote down Stratus Booker, T and Foley. I seem to, to remember be this because it was obviously in New York. And so they were doing a sort of, I think I think the Hall of Fame induction might have happened at Madison Square Garden. So they absolutely spunked a load of potential headliners of the Hall of Fame on one show. So like they had mm-hmm. Sam Martino, arguably the biggest star in WWE's history. And certainly in, in Madison Square Garden history is very, very big star in that building. Backland also had sold that building out many, 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 many times over the six years he was world champion. Mick Foley was involved. Booker T was involved. Trish was involved. There was a lot of quite significant names on that Hall of Fame uh, roster, as I remember. Do you think that Mick Foley would be a headliner? Most, You know, he should be a most I know he's got, obviously, they've got his kind of tie-in with the garden. Um, obviously, being the fact that oh, you hit, talk about him when he went to Hitchhike to go and see Snooker at the Garden and stuff like that. So you do have that. But it's a bit of a waste of Mick Foley going into the Hall of Fame because I think he should have really should be a headliner. Yeah, I, I think he should have been. But I, I, I think they were just trying to sell out MSG for the Hall of Fame ceremony. I think, you know, they wanted to they just threw a load of big names at it. MSG ain't that big, though, is it? Like they could have sold that out for a Hall of Fame ceremony. But bear in mind that we went to we went to the Toyota Center in Houston, and that's not massive either. It's probably about a similar size, I would imagine. Do you know what? I'm going to check now. Go on, man, Phil, because you're going to see something. That's all you're oh, good God. for is filling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to touch on Philly, I think this is, I'm pretty sure he, doesn't he head? Oh, no, it is San Martino headlines. San Martino headlines, This yes. is the one where Foley talks for about four hours, doesn't he? I think. And he pretty much embarrasses himself. And I think he's kind of said as much himself. That he, that apparently there's a natural end point and he goes on for about 25 minutes after that. I don't which... remember, as I say. I can't remember it. To, to put numbers into perspective, Toyota Centre um, is, is 19,000 and MSG is 20,000. So it's not, you know, it's not too much in it. Not, not enough to, to squander yeah. Foley's headlining. Is the Toyota Center one in, in, in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, they had Austin headlining that. I mean, the biggest star in the history of WWE. I think it oh. just, I think they just worried about, I think they just wanted to add as many big names to it. It, it was, let's not forget, is there's still a sense that MSG is their home stadium, but effectively it's still their home arena. And um, so they, they even, even maybe just honoring that, they wanted to put as many big names in it as possible so can i talk about the absolute clinic that is caitlin versus tamina 
Well, why not? Why don't you go for it? What absolute clinic this match was. Mercifully, about four minutes long. Uh, not a very good match at all. Although I must admit that there's a one point where uh, where Caitlin does a pretty impressive suplex on uh, on Tamina, but that was basically the highlight. The uh, the match uh, kind of ends with uh, Caitlin retaining her Divas Championship uh, after a botched splash by Tamina, and she beats her with a spear, I believe, to get the three count. Um, all I could think about this match was thank God for page and then nxt afterwards and the and the amazing talent of female wrestlers that have come through because this is absolutely shit this is the nadir of the women's division i think i think this is where so this is sort of post all the tna i mean t and a not tna era so this is sort of just after that when when the main reason that the women were used was for modeling of some kind and before AJ Lee and Paige brought some kind of interest to the division. This was what was going on. Um, Caitlin had come in. She'd been promoted to the main roster for having been in uh, a competitor in the third series of NXT. But this was before NXT was their development division. It was their kind of reality Reality weird, weird thing. And she'd won that series. And then she'd come in and quickly become the Divas champion because there was nobody else. In fact, there's one moment in during this match where you see a lineup of the other women who are in the division and there's about six of them and two of them are Brodus Clay's dancers Naomi and Cameron mm. and in fairness Naomi wasn't hadn't been wrestling in, in matches at this point so two of them were just the was, was Brodus Clay's cheerleaders which said it all about the division at the time it was in a pretty dire place at that moment my main takeaways from the match were that Caitlin has the worst music I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. It's horrific. And after the young lady wins the match, they play it for what feels like about a week. It just goes on forever. And also, um, Jerry Lawler is incredibly keen for us to know that Tamina, Tamina Snooker, mm. is Jimmy Snooker's daughter. Hang on, what? Yeah, I know. I wouldn't have got that. Yeah, just in case you didn't get it, Jerry Lawler mentions it. So this match, I think it was three minutes and 15 seconds. He must mention it four times. <laughs> and uh, going back, touching on what like both of you have said, like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Royal Rumble 2021, and I think we mentioned how far women's wrestling has come. I mean, this is only eight years ago. This yeah. feels like it should be like, well, I don't know. Probably nine years ago, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go over the top there, did you? But you're right. Um, no. <laughs> I think I, I've got a conspiracy theory for all the conspiracy oh, theory know. nuts out there. It's not long <laughs> after this that um, WWE go on a mass deletion of second names so obviously within that is antonio cesaro and we've got biggie lanston lose his loses his name and of course tamina snooker now i wonder whether or not it's all to get rid of tamina snooker and they didn't want to make it obvious so they just they wanted to <laughs> take away a load of other people's names as well and and tamina became tamina and they're like well we can't just take away snooker's name so let's do it to a few other random people as well okay <laughs> fine that's it biggie no more Langston, Cesaro. No more Antonio, and that's and that's what we're going to do. I'm that's my uh, conspiracy theory. I uh, tell you uh, what's good about Tamina. Like one, I've always thought Tamina was alright actually. To us, very odd not to see her all in black. I can never remember her not wearing. Yeah. And also, her music is absolute fire. Tamina, Tamina, Tamina. 
Snooker. Ta me na. Snooker. And then it just says to Mina for ages. And I realised, so I was like, I wonder if she's still got that music. Still has it. It's such an idea for the division that you can barely remember Caitlin and Tamina. I can barely, like, I can barely remember hardly ever having a singles match of any note whatsoever. So it feels like this is, and also it's kind of hidden away in the the, the, the spot before the main event, just to kind of calm everyone down a bit more after the Ziggler Kingston pointlessness. Well, it's, it is, it's the piss match in there. But I wanted yeah. to be too derogatory about it. There's the both those matches. They're both four minutes long. They are very much the go and get yourself a drink, go and have a piss, do whatever you need to to get yourself to the main event, and this will still be happening in the background. Don't worry, you're not going to miss anything. And that's so and so unfortunate. That's what at the time the women's division was reduced to, and it was for a very long time. Yeah. That is all. It's, yeah. it's this, we'll put something in just to show that we got women wrestling. We'll. Put something in to, to to satisfy the creepy dads at the live shows, and then that's it. Do you know what I mean? That's, that is ultimately that's what it was, and it's and I'm so glad that it's not that anymore. It was such a low point that that year at WrestleMania they didn't have a single women's match on the bill at all, not even on the pre-show. So that's interesting actually, because I think that that match that I think they were supposed to have the Bellas versus the the pterodactyls whatever they're called the the funkodactyls <laughs> yes that other dinosaur from back <laughs> in the day um and i'm pretty sure they were supposed to have a match and it ended up getting cut and i'm pretty sure that is i've only seen the first episode of total divas but i think that that is the um the kind of focal point of the first episode of, of total divas right okay it was my it was my attempt to try and get my wife into watching something oh, wrestling related and it, and it didn't work <laughs> also between these two matches we have the uh tons of funk in tensai promo as well which is for some toys this is time for a good long shit isn't it? Like, <laughs> you're, you're you're talking probably 12 13 minutes of queuing getting your deuce out getting a beer on the way back done ready for the main event yeah, my notes for this priest, this my notes for this backstage segment are then backstage advert for Power Slammers with Brodus Clay, Lord Tensai, Naomi and Cameron, and after that they all dance. Fun. Yeah. In quotation marks. <laughs> it was fun, and also I'll tell you what it did make me realise. Going back to what Tom said about WrestleMania 29. Oh no, it's WrestleMania 28, isn't it? Where he comes out and cuts the promo, and he calls his mama live on air. Because John Cena legitimately needed a shit before their match. <laughs> so he yeah. said, yeah, so he said to Vince, he was like, can we send Brodus and the, and the old Funkadactyls out there just to do some for 10 minutes because I need to get rid of this? And he said, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah do it, pal. The amount of protein that John Cena must eat, could oh. you imagine his dumps? I don't want to. Like, Honestly, can you imagine? I, I bet you he's got a plumber. I was going to say a plumber on tap then. That, I, I, I bet he's got. I bet he's got a plumber on speed dial all the time, every day. He's like Jeff. Um, that's his name, I guess. Uh, Jeff the plumber. Because I think is there an actor called Jeff Plumber? I don't know. Anyway, he's just like, come on, plumber. I need you now. And he's like, oh fucking hell, John. I need. He's like, get the drill out. I need you to break this bad boy up. <laughs> Yeah, let's move on quickly because we uh, we need to talk about the main event before we go too far down the U-bend. The main event is um, The Rock against CM Punk. The Rock is the WWE Championship, having beaten Punk at the Royal Rumble. Um, this match lasts nearly 21 minutes and ends when The Rock, Rock Bottom CM Punk, 
for the victory. I am coming to you, old man, for this one. What's your thoughts? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Either way, it was tremendous. I mean, it's like, like Rock had obviously come back for 28. He'd obviously realised that he can't just turn up, which I think he probably knew anyway, but he's significantly slimmed down when he comes back, which could be other factors. But he's also he's also got rid of the awful goatee that he had for his programme for his senior for WrestleMania 28. CM Punk is just absolutely, in particular at this time, is so perfect for this role because he he makes The Rock look a million bucks. He makes him look strong with obviously how he sells. The no count out or disqualification rules are tremendous as well because they make Rock have a wrestling match, basically. Like, and they need to kind of tell a story without, as the match at WrestleMania 29 with Cena would do. They rely on basically high spots where they do their finishes back and forth. This was like a proper match. It kind of bubbles along. I think it's still quite early on when CM Punk spits in the Rock's face. Ugh. It is incredible. Like it, one, it's an awful thing to do, but I think it just—I think it just—it solved the fact that The Rock couldn't react in the way that he wanted to so well, and it kind of played on the fact that Rock's a bit of an actor as well, so he's able to kind of subtly sell it. I just thought it was great. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've seen it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it made me realise how good CM Punk is and particularly at this time, was. The allegation is that he didn't really want to do the job for Rock, and it was kind of forced on him. But he seems, if that's true, he gets his own back at WrestleMania by stealing the show with The Undertaker. I just loved it. I thought it was tremendous. Tom, what are your thoughts? Um, again, it's, it's, it's really weird. I, I kind of think back to this era, because I remember, obviously, I watched the WrestleMania with The Rock versus John Cena and was thoroughly unimpressed. And I'm sure I can remember at the time really not enjoying the this run with The Rock. Um, I can remember at the time thinking it was really shit, but watching this match, um, again, out of context, you know, without the rest of the kind of the, the build-up around it, again, I really enjoyed. It's it's something that's so... It's such, it's such a weird thing in my mind to think of The Rock now. The Hollywood star, the, the highest-earning actor in, in Hollywood, um, being in WWE at that time when he was as hot as he was in Hollywood. And still being that good, um, I was genuinely impressed by how good he still was in the ring. Um, after obviously he was in there the year before, but that not really being in it for so long. As you said, old man, I think he'd slimmed down a little bit for this. Um, he sells all over the place for CM Punk, makes CM Punk look like a credible threat, despite the fact that you know the Rock's the big name, and he's also a physically bigger person. So he sells CM Punk's offense really well. I love Paul Heyman on the outside. There's a couple of bits that Paul Heyman's great in it in the outside. There's like the bit where he keeps he keeps building up how close CM Punk is to be to, to to pinning him. So he's like, "You're on a two. You had a one and a half. You had a two, and now you got a two and a half. You got two and a half. You're nearly a three. And it's just that was great. Um, the the bit the spot with the spitting in his head is is it as bad as the what we watched the other week? when uh, one of the Fantastics got spat on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think what is the worst globule of spit. Because, again, I didn't see The Rock wipe that off either. Well, so I think the it, one, I think the Fantastic one was his own spit, whereas at least, but whereas at least that was his own spit. <laughs> yeah, this was, right. this yeah. was Punk's spit on him. So that was, I would say yeah. that's much worse. 
but no, I, I thought it was great. Like the ending, the ending was good. There's a so the ending of the match is uh, Mike Hewler gets knocked out, knocked off of the ring apron. Paul Heyman's distracting him, and CM Punk gets thrown into him and he falls down, knocked out. Another referee comes in. The Rock hits Punk with the people's elbow. Referee goes for it. He kicks out at two count, and then something happens. Something really innocuous happens when the referee, hurt, the second referee, hurts his leg, and he sells it. Like someone's just two footed him. It is amazing how much it's such a brush of the leg and he goes down and absolutely sells it like he's Earl Hebner in his prime. It's it's so fucking like weird and funny. And then the rock obviously hits him with a rock bottom and there's the slowest three count by Mike Hewitt ever. But I thought it was good. I, I really enjoyed this match a lot more than I thought it would. And it's a testament to CM Punk's ability as, as a great wrestler to be able to have a good match with anyone and the rock's dedication to wanting to have a good match again. This is the match which really I found the most fascinating because at the time I can remember going into this match hoping for something else to happen. I, I didn't want it just to be a straight match where one you know, where The Rock was going to beat CM Punk because I think it's worth remembering that at this time there was an inevitability about the fact that we were going to get The Rock versus C- uh, Cena again at WrestleMania, which nobody wanted. Nobody, no, or I say nobody wanted. Nobody um amongst the kind of in the know insider wrestling fans wanted to happen because they didn't rate the first match that they had and also it was supposed to be once in a lifetime and also there was a sense that cm punk's just had this amazing year should be in the main event of of wrestlemania in some way and it it didn't look like he was going to be and i think that that inevitability at the time really undercut the excitement behind this match because it, it was it seemed predictable it seemed obvious that the rock was going to win um it seemed obviously it was going to win at the rumble when he did and he beat punk for the title and it again it felt obvious here watching it this time i am in agreement with you i thought it was a really good match you know, this was the rock almost back to where he was sort of 2002 when i think he was at his best as, a, as an in-ring talent his punches are fantastic the rock's punches yeah. are i think possibly the best in the business I, I just think they are absolutely phenomenal punk was fantastic as well Heyman played his part brilliantly outside the ring but it just it, it just really made me think about the perception of a show when you're watching it at the time and when you then look back on it and i think this time freed from the kind of hope that anything else would take place freed from the um kind of anticipation of a wrestlemania that felt like it was going to be as i say at the time for me wwe was coming up with all these new ideas the shield even ryback as i said was interesting the road scholars were around as an interesting tag team at the time team l no had been doing some really fun stuff backstage but wrestlemania was almost going to portray a different wwe and if you remember that year undertaker Brock Lesnar, Triple H and The Rock were four of the main stars in the three three main matches of the night. Only Punk and, and Cena were actual full-time members of the roster that year in the main matches of WrestleMania. So it felt like we were going to get a show in a WWE at WrestleMania that was completely different and alien from what WWE the rest of the time was. But looking back now, as I say... I, I yeah I have to I have to admit I thought it was a really good match much much better than I remember it and um and yeah far more satisfying in the end of the day I thought the the moment when CM Punk kicks out the people's elbow genuinely dramatic <clears throat> kind of near fall crowd were fooled by it completely they even protected CM Punk um in the mm. midst of all this he, he hit the GTS only for the referee to at that point be out of out of action. So uh, yeah, I mean, looking back on it now, I think it's uh, I think it's a really, I think it's a, a really good match. I think the um, the thing you brought up about Punk not necessarily wanting to do the job, I think that was more because obviously he had the 
famous podcast where he spoke to Colt Cabana about his final couple of years in the in the WWE after he'd left. And he does talk about the fact that this year in 2013, he had to put over the Rock, uh, the Rock in two matches at the Rumble and at Elimination Chamber. He then had to put The Undertaker over at WrestleMania and then he put Lesnar over at SummerSlam, all part-time guys. And he had been basically the main guy week to week on the television shows doing all the work you know performing as well as anybody had you know was one of the best ever if you like it, it was one of those great years and he was just really pissed off that he just had to keep putting over these stars so it wasn't necessarily that he didn't want to put the rock over it was more that first of all he felt like he should be in the main event with cena and the rock but also that um that he just had to keep he had to keep putting over those part-time guys um going on to the cm punk of it all i i, I kind of went down a bit of a you know a, a rabbit hole if you will kind of just you know an imaginary rabbit hole think about cm punk and it was one of those things where cm punk i think gave a hell of a lot of credibility to those guys who were smaller to be able to become main event people you know so i think without cm punk and his run that he had and his and it's the importance to his company wouldn't wouldn't have led to a seth rollins being a, a long-term champion or a Daniel Bryan being a main star. He kind of paved the way, I think, in the same way that, like, Bret Hart did with Shawn Mo- and Shawn Michaels. You know, like, that That sort of... I feel like he's as important in getting someone who isn't necessarily a muscle-bound, huge guy to be the main face of the company again in the way that, like, John Cena and Batista and what they look like they were grooming Ryback to be. You know what I mean? He was that alternative, and I think that he added a lot of credibility to to someone to be a main guy for a company and not be a giant. Mm. I think it's a good point. Um, and, and also, sorry, the, the, and also, sorry, Tinky, but the, the, the credibility of bringing an established independent star into the company as well, because obviously I know he kept his name, which obviously didn't happen with a lot of the other wrestlers later down the line. But if you look at the roster now and you look at, you know, the likes of Adam Cole and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and, any number of people that have come in for, via the same route that CM Punk did and have become big stars. I think without CM Punk, those guys wouldn't be where they are in the company either. Yeah, I think I've, I think all that's I think that's all fair. I mean, I think in terms of his impact on that part of it, probably that impact is perhaps felt more from a period that we've gone past now. So what I mean by that is at this time before Cesaro and before. Uh, Seth Rollins and before, as you say, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, all former Ring of Honor, all Ring of Honor alumni, really feeds back to CM Punk. Daniel Bryan, the same, you know, they were all mm. kind of in the indie darlings. I'd say that that era is now kind of passed because we're now on the era of anybody from anywhere can become a WWE star as long as they go through NXT first for a couple of years. Yeah. You do get some guys who keep their name, but in the main, most of them uh, end up having to change it. But yeah, I think in terms of smaller guys, it's not just who you mentioned, but it's, you know, you say Daniel Bryan, hell, even AJ Styles might not have been given the chances he's been given on the main roster since he's come in, had it not been for CM Punk laying some of that groundwork beforehand. Mm-hmm. But who knows? But you're right. I think um, he, was, he was just a magnificent talent at the time. And I think it's a shame that his career le- actually ended less than a year after this, uh, the night after the following year's Royal Rumble, because he clearly, even seeing this match on its own, had a lot more to give. There was more to come from CM Punk in terms of great matches and great moments, I think. Overall, then, uh, a, a kind of what, what are we thinking? Um, shall we go to you, old man, to start with your rating for the overall rating of the show and also your match of the night? Well, the match of the night is 
the main event. But a very close second is the six-man tag match. I enjoyed this show. The only thing that I genuinely didn't enjoy was probably about 15 minutes of the Elimination Chamber match. The middle 15 minutes. I just thought it's a real big sag. Put it this way, I'm glad the rest of the card was so solid. Otherwise, it would have been quite a troll to get through the show. But I uh, I enjoyed it. I, like I said at the start, I'm not convinced that I'd ever watched this before. I think the opening two matches are good. I said my piece on the Elimination Chamber. Six person's great. Ziggler and Kingston, as Tom so eloquently put it, is the piss match, I think. Oh, no, well, no, Tom, Tom, Tom said that, that was the Divas match, but I think that's the piss match. And then you've got the ladies match, and then you've got a great main event showing off Punk and Rock. In terms of rating, I'd probably go a good solid 2.8. That's close to being on a par. Is that on a par or better than Rumble 2021? Uh, I think that's just below. I think I gave that 2.9. But to okay. be honest, that was a couple of weeks ago, so I can't really remember. Fair enough. Tom, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I thought the pay-per-view in itself was was fine. The, up until the main event, there was nothing that massively excited me about it. It was just reasonably middle-of-the-road entertaining. Um, nothing nothing massive, but the main event was good. I, I'm going to give it two and a half, um, but I, I, I feel like a three is just a little bit too generous for this. So I'm going to go I'm gonna go two and a half. Fair enough. Um, did you say your match of the night? The match of my night is the main event. Main event. Um, yeah. For me, the match of the night was the six-man tag. I thought that was just fantastic. And I, I, but then I loved these six-man tag matches the Shield had during this year and a half or so after they came to the company. I just thought they were phenomenal. Uh, it peaks about a year, in fact, almost a, two, a year to the day after this when they faced the Wyatt family at the February pay-per-view in 2014 phenomenal one of the best matches wwe have ever put on in my opinion that one um but this was really good i I really really enjoyed it but i also thought the main event was cracking as well a close second to it and overall i'm giving it a three star a solid three star i think it was a really i thought it was a really solid show And, and as i say i think if you'd have asked me in 2013 when i was watching this i would have given it maybe a two i would have not been very impressed with it i thought because if you look back at it now i think the prospect of Jack Swagger versus Del Rio for the World Heavyweight Championship and the fact that, you know, the Rock and Cena are going to face each other. Um, and there doesn't appear to be too much else set up at this point. You're waiting for The Undertaker and CM Punk that has not been on anybody's radar at this point um, yet. You're also there's not like Triple H and Lesnar would end up facing each other. That hasn't been confirmed either. So you're kind of in a place where WrestleMania does isn't really shaping up to be very much. And as they go on about during this show, there's only 49 days till WrestleMania is due to happen. But now I think looking back, I just think it's a far better show than I, than I realized at the time. And yeah, there's some, there's some nothing matches in there. There's two or three, there's probably three matches that don't really mean anything. But I think that the opener's really decent. I think that the the Elimination Chamber match is a really decent match. Not amazing, but it's decent. And I think those those last two match, those big two matches, sorry, the six man tag and the World Championship match are really good, and especially the six man tag match. Um, yeah, I think it might even. Well, it's not as good as the ninety two or a Rumble as a show overall, but it it's not far off in my view. I think it's a much better show mm. than I um, than I ever thought before. I guess the differences between that and like the 92 Rumble is that you, this hasn't quite, not yet, reached iconic status in the way that the Rumble 92 has. 
No, and I don't imagine it ever will because it is still it is not one of the main pay-per-views of the year. It's not one of those big, you know, it's not a WrestleMania or SummerSlam or whatever. I think it's one of those things that isn't also fondly remembered because of what I've said about the fact that we knew The Rock and CM uh, and Cena would face each other at WrestleMania. There's also, uh, and I think this is worth bringing up because it's quite a big thing that loomed over this mat over this show in general. Um, I think it was either the Monday after this or one or two weeks after this show, Cena and CM Punk had another match against each other on Raw. And they had a big feud throughout 2012 and 2011. They'd wrestled each other a lot. But in on Raw in 2013, between this show and WrestleMania, they had one more match. And it was actually for Cena's place against The Rock at WrestleMania. It lasts about half an hour and it is phenomenal. It's an absolutely brilliant match. And it was often talked about as almost like Cena and Punk saying to management and to The Rock, this is what you could have had at WrestleMania. And instead, you're going to get Cena and The Rock. And there was this sense that, even even Cena was kind of feeling a little bit a little bit annoyed that The Rock was able to come back, having been a part timer for so long, and get straight into the main event. I mean, obviously he was going to be. The other thing I want to lots of points to make about this, but there's another point which is really important is that obviously a lot of people criticise WWE for having The Rock versus Cena a second time in a row at WrestleMania. But when you consider that this, The Rock versus Cena at WrestleMania 28 is the highest grossing pay-per-view match of all time. You understand why they did a rematch the year later. I mean, who they'd be foolish not to have done it. So it's hard to criticize them too much. Okay, so it's time for the game, and it's my turn to host the game this week. Um, so I've been we've obviously had a lot of Hall of Fame talk today. Oh, okay. So um, I'm not gonna do quite what you might imagine. So the what I want you to name for me today is Hall of Fame inductees that went in as a group. So that's two or more people at the same Ooh. time, as opposed to just anybody who went into the Hall of Fame. So you, they have to have been in as a group. Hang on, we, oh, we, we go, go, go with phone out, Brick. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just messaging your ma. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it. Oh, no. <laughs> there are 17 that you have to name. Uh, and um, let's start with Old Man, first of all. Well, because I uh, dropped the bollock, Degeneration X. Degeneration X. Tom, yes. your go. <laughs> um, Heart Foundation. Heart Foundation are in there, yes. Terry and Dory Funk. The Funks, yes, from 2009. We were there for that one, guys. Uh, the Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen, absolutely. They went in together. In 2012. The Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers. 2015. Butch and Luke in two. They were inducted by John Laronitis. Um, The Fabulous Freebirds. The Fabulous Freebirds did indeed go in. Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, Jimmy Garvin. 2016, they were inducted by The New Day. Uh, It's, um... uh, there was, there was a, a Bobby Eaton and the other cunt. Uh, <laughs> Rock and Roll Express. Well, 
You're right, because the Rock and Roll Express did get inducted, but those two cunts that you mentioned weren't in the Rock and Roll Express. They were the Midnight Express. Um, but the Rock and Roll Express did indeed get inducted into the Hall of Fame. What's annoying is I was going to see the Midnight Express. Tom, have it. <laughs> no, no, no you're, you're, you've done it. You're through. Robert, Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton, the Rock and Roll Express, inducted by Jim Cornette in 2017. Uh, um, the Legion of Doom. Legion of Doom. 2011, American Dream Dusty Rhodes inducted the Legion of Doom. There's still a fair few. Um, bloody hell, there's a fair few. Well, there's at least seven or eight. <laughs> bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, so I'm going to go with the Union. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. Right. The Union... <laughs> <laughs> which lasted about a month <laughs> and were jobbed out straight away just so Vince could deter anyone from ever actually creating a wrestling <laughs> um no you, you won't be surprised though they didn't go in i, I mean like look there are there I, I could accept that these aren't that easy but i would have thought that you might have plumped for like demolition or someone well, who hang aren't on, it, a second hang on a second I've got, yeah, I've got someone else to go in the list Right, who? The people. I was going to give you the Von Erics next. The Von Erics, oh, yeah. Which yeah. again, again, old man, we were there for the induction. <laughs> the Von Erics went in in 2009. They were inducted by Michael Hayes. Any other, any other Tom? Uh, no. Do you know I was done at that point? Uh, Beverly Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'll give you the list, shall I? So in I 19- tell you what, actually, do you know what? This isn't a fucking Hall of Fame if IRS ain't in it. If he's not in it, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> So the, the remaining people that we haven't got, 1996, the Valiant Brothers, Jimmy and Johnny, were inducted by the British Bulldog and Owen Hart. Uh, awesome. 2006, the Blackjacks, Blackjack Mulligan and Jack Lanza, were inducted by Bobby the Brain Heenan. 2007, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Seeker, were inducted. Uh, 2008, the Briscoe Brothers, Gerald and Jack, were inducted. Uh, 2018, the Dudley Boys were inducted. Um, 2019, Harlem Heat were inducted into the Hall oh, of Fame. Yeah. And 2020, or or the one that didn't happen and is due to now happen uh, this year, the Bella the Bella twins are uh, going to be inducted as well. Do you know, I would quite confidently say I don't care about any of those people, and I'm <laughs> glad I forgot them. I just Hush. wish that the the new Blackjacks had gone in. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, one of them is due to go in again in 2021. Old uh, JBL is due to go in, so. Um, is that is, which one's better? Which, one, which one's better, old man? That or Alberto Del Rio? Oh, it's Del Rio. Del Rio's funky. You can you could have a dance to that. You could, let's be honest, you could have sex to that. Whereas G, <laughs> whereas GBLs, nah. You could have efficient, passionless sex. <laughs> functional, functional, passionless sex. <laughs> what a way to uh, what a way to end the pod on this week. Do you think that's going to be the title of JBL's autobiography? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Who knows? Who's to say? Who's to say what? I hope, the, uh... I hope so. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, this is this one has felt like a bit of a strange one because I, I thought we would go a bit longer, but we just smashed through the first few matches way quicker than I thought. In fact, at one point, we the fact of the matter is we didn't even bring up the fact that Michael Cole says at one point that the Helen the, the elimination chamber weighs ten tons. We didn't even we didn't even mention that, no. fact. <laughs> but he definitely said it. Um, 
old man thanks for uh thanks for joining me on this uh on this cruise through elimination chamber 2013 oh it's been an absolute pleasure just to echo what i say every week a massive thank you to everyone who's listening and interacting with us on social media i'm sure uh, ben aeroplane spindler will give everybody our handles for social media so i didn't need to and he can probably edit that bit out because it was clunky as fuck but yes th- <laughs> <Going in. laughs> yeah. uh, thank you for listening and uh we'll see you same bat time same bat place next week and tom also thanks to you for uh getting us through as well thanks everyone for listening it's been a pleasure i will um i'll die happy um, yeah, and thank you. As, as Old Man said, we've got uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at RWRPodUK. Also, uh, check us out on YouTube. Lots of uh, random clips from our shows. Two, two to four minutes. Uh, won't take up too much of your day. And we'll remind you of some of the highlights of uh, our banter back and forth. In fact, most of it is more concentrating on the analysis as opposed to the banter, because goodness me, what would people make of those things in isolation? Um, but yeah, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back again next week with another uh, randomly reviewed wrestling show but until then take care <laughs>